Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. You guys are looking good and sounding good. Great to see everybody here this morning. Great to see everybody here. So, um, couple things. Uh, what was my first? Th- oh, first thing. For, well, first thing, uh, Matt's going to be coming to speak to us in just a second. Um, his, all his notes and scriptures are on the YouVersion app. Uh, so if you want to open up your YouVersion app and click on live and look for our church, you can find us there. Also, everybody pull out your green card that was in your chair, hold it up in the air, wave it look like you just don't care. And, um, and then uh, just, um, this is our connection card. <laughs> this is our connection card. And uh, this is just, a, you know, on the back side it says prayer request. And I know everybody in this room has something going on in your life that you could just use a little extra prayer about. And we have people that pray over these every single week. And, uh, and so would you just jot down how we could be praying for you this week? Um, also, if you're, uh, you know, new or somewhat new or whatever, uh, get, a, get the card all filled out. And, and uh, that way we can get information out to you that, that about upcoming events and that sort of thing. And uh, you can drop that in the the basket as it comes by at the end of the service, or there's a box on the table on the way out the door. So Matt um, Johnson spoke to us. By the way, I'm Jeff Myers. I'm the pastor, if you're new. And um, and then uh, Matt Johnson spoke to us uh, a couple weeks ago when I was sick, and I really appreciated that. It was awesome. And um, he was already scheduled, though, to speak today and uh, decided he wanted to definitely go ahead and keep that commitment as well. And I'm excited. He's got a great message for you. You're going you're gonna to really enjoy it. But before he comes, I just want to talk a little bit about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and that's uh, kind of Matt's world of youth ministry. Uh, I did 15 years in, in youth ministry before I was pastor here at Living Hope, and I love teens, and I always have, and I always will. I've got a real burden uh, for them. And um, uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit about our philosophy of youth ministry here at Living Hope, because it may not be exactly what you think. Um, a lot of churches, unfortunately, have kind of fallen into this trap of making youth ministry all about keeping kids from making bad choices. And which goes completely, not completely, that's, that's, a, that's an overstatement, but it goes a little bit contrary to the scripture, which is all about grace and all about not, you know, not living a legalistic life and that sort of thing. But it's for some reason, when we get into youth ministry, it becomes all about, you know, minimizing the knuckle-headed decisions that teens are prone to make. <clears throat> and so, if you know, a lot of time a teen can go through a whole youth ministry program and, and come out with a feeling like a relationship with God is all about, you know, don't drink and don't chew and don't go with girls that do. And, and, and so, but that's really not what it's about at all. Now, we're going to have those conversations in the context of our youth ministry. We're going to talk about those things and, and making wise choices and that sort of thing. But the, a win for us in youth ministry is not getting your kid from 7th grade to 12th grade without ever having taken a drink and ever having done drugs and ever having had, you know, premarital sex or whatever. Even though, again, those are conversations we're going to have, that's not the win for us. The win for us is this, getting your kid from 7th grade to 12th grade and leaving that youth ministry having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the win. That's the win. And those are two very different things. Because we can talk, basically, the don't, you know, don't smoke and you know, drink and chew and go with girls that do, um, even though we'll have those conversations with your kid, that's on you guys as parents. That's your job. That's your job. Our job is to, and, and is to partner with you in helping your kids have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will carry them through 
they're knuckleheaded decisions. They're all, I've got two teenagers in the youth group, and um, as a dad, not just as pastor, uh, I can just tell you that while I have great kids that I love how they're growing spiritually and all that kind of stuff, uh, they're teenagers, and occasionally they make dumb, dumb choices. They just, they just do. And I did too, and you did too, so stop rolling your eyes at me. And um, we, that's, just, that's just the nature of the thing. Teenagers are out there, you know, uh, not that they're constantly screwing up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying at some point in time, they're bound to make a decision that they'll look back on and go, that was a really dumb decision. And that we'll look at right now and go, yeah, that was a really dumb decision, right? But this is what we want as a church. We want to provide the framework for your teens to learn about, to experience a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that will carry them through whether they're making good decisions or bad decisions or whatever else. Um, Our primary goal is not necessarily providing this, you know, super safe place for for your teens. Even though we're going to do everything we can to keep them safe when when they're under our care and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But this is the thing. You need to know that one of our objectives as a teen ministry is to actually reach the kids you're trying to keep your kids away from, right? It's a mission. It's a mission work. And so if that scares you a little bit, that's okay. That's okay. Um, But this is what I know, that one of the reasons I love Matt so much, and Matt just turned 21 yesterday, all right? And he's here sober this morning, which is great. And... um, (laughs) And so um, so one of the reasons I love Matt so much is that his faith is contagious. His faith is contagious. And he um, has a way of presenting the gospel to our kids in a way that they want more. Again, as a dad of two teens in the youth group, um, I love it that my kids are constantly coming home excited about the word of God and excited about doing, making steps to draw closer to Christ. Uh, and so while I can't promise that my kids or your kids are never going to make a mistake, this is what I can promise. If you put them in our teen ministry, they're going to hear the word of God spoken in such a way that they're going to want more, that they're going to want more. And that's really all we can expect. That's really all we can expect. And so I love Matt. I, he, he does what he does. He, he's a young man, but he does what he does expertly. And um, I couldn't be prouder that he's our youth pastor. So everybody welcome Matt Johnson this morning. All right. Is that going? Is that going? No. Yes? Yes? There it is. Cool. All right. Got to have my podium. I've been told that the structural integrity of this thing is very dangerous. Oh, did someone put rubber bands on there? Are you kidding me? Who planned that out? I don't think that was their first service, was it? Did someone do that? I really don't think that was like that. Anyway, good morning. How are y'all doing? Um, yeah, I'm not Jeff Myers. Uh, my name is Matt Johnson. Anyway, um, so if you're with us for the first time, I'm so glad you're here. We are in week seven of a, a series called Wildfire. And um, basically, we're going through the book of Acts and basically seeing how the gospel spread like wildfire. And it's hilarious because uh, I think I said this the last time I spoke, um, but the couple weeks before um, me and Jeff had this conversation, it was uh, middle of December, and I was, you know, we're at the end of a series in youth group, and I was like, God, what am I going to be speaking about? 
And uh, I just kept hearing the book Acts, Acts, Acts. And so I was like, okay, we're going to do Acts. And so I you know, planned out four or five weeks or so, and I uh, got my lesson plan ready to go for the book Acts. And uh, the week before the Sunday that Jeff pulled out wildfire, and I promised I did not know what was going on. So he uh, you know, laid back in the staff meeting. He's like, so uh, this Sunday we're starting our you know, series in Acts. And I was like, no, you're not, because I am tomorrow. And so it was hilarious. And then I talked with uh, Ken over at Cornerstone, and his youth going through the book of Acts. And so we're just going through the book of Acts. So here we go. Um, yeah, so I had my 21st birthday yesterday, and I did what any other 21st birthday person would do, and I did yard work for four hours, and I got the scars to prove it, so that's why I'm here this morning. Um, so, that's not good. That's not good one. Okay, so um, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, and uh, before we even dig into um, the scriptures, I'm going to give you two things. One, I'm going to give you context to who wrote Apostle Paul, um, who actually at the time wasn't with Jesus. The reason why he's, he's called an apostle is because God came to him at a blinding light to Damascus, blinded him for three days, didn't eat or drink anything for three days. Then after being healed, he got baptized before he even drank water, after not drinking water for three days. This, is, this guy is devout. Who this person was before God came to him, he was in charge of arresting and murdering Christians. He was in charge. Uh, the, the chief priest hired him to rally up all the Christians, all the, all the big guys, right? To kill the snake, you chop the head off the snake, right? So they said, all right, Saul, you are going to go rally up the heads of the Christian church, and we're going to chop the head off the snake. And he says, okay, all right. And so he's going around the Jerusalem. He's going around, and on the, on the road to Damascus, the Lord comes to him. And, and through this incredible, incredible um, conversion, this guy who was in charge of murdering Christians now becomes one. Not just becomes one, begins to minister immediately. And not just that, he travels all over around uh, the Mediterranean Sea and up through Rome, around through Israel, around there. And not just that, not just that, wrote half the New Testament, all right? So before I even get into the scripture, I want to submit something to you guys. Like, this is normally something I do at the end. I'm going to do it at the beginning. We're doing things all, all new today, all, all over the place. Who's that person in your life who you're just like, yeah, they're never going to change? They're never going to change. We talked about this on Wednesday at youth group. Who's that person in your life who you just say, don't trust him? He's never going to change. If you're here this morning and you think that people can't change, you're reading the wrong book. You're reading the wrong book. In here, this book is all about life change. This book is all about life change. You see, Paul murdered Christians. He was in charge of murdering Christians. And God said, that's who I want to write half the New Testament. That's the guy, right? And so when in Damascus, the Jews find out that he's starting to preach the gospel, they said, okay, we're going to kill him. <laughs> so the guy who was in charge of murdering Christians is now the guy they want to kill. So he flees Damascus. He comes back to Jerusalem. 
And upon his arrival in Jerusalem, he was rejected by the apostles and the disciples there. And so at this moment, in this small, short moment, he's rejected by the Jews who originally hired him to kill the Christians, and he's rejected by the Christians until Barnabas, who was with him in Damascus, said, no, he's one of us. It took someone that they trusted to put their trust and faith back into someone. And so because of his actions, he became not trustworthy, but through Barnabas's testimony of his spreading the gospel, of his sharing the faith, that put their trust back in him. And so this morning is all about sharing your faith. And uh, the funny thing that I, I see about sharing your faith is a lot of time we see sharing your faith as an extracurricular activity, something we do like outside of something, right? I want to tell you that your, your walk with Christ is not a, in a box. It's not in a box. People aren't in a box. So I'm going to do my box rant real quick. I asked first service if I had done this yet, and I don't didn't really, it's kind of an uneven answer, so here's my box rant, you haven't heard it. <clears throat> so, I wake up in a box, in a small box inside of a bigger box. I go to the other box, I pour food out of a box into a bowl, then I eat it. Then I go to a, uh, a smaller box, and then I drive my box to a box, sit in a box, open up a box to read the box, then I go on my box, go home and play Xbox, and then I'm inside of a box, and I get back in my box drive to my friend's box, go play Xbox over there, come back and I'm in my box, and I go sleep in a box, right? Yeah, it's a lot of boxes. So what I've found through that, what's well, a little fun, is that we live in a box culture in America. Everything is a box. And we try and put our life into a box. We try and put our timetable into a box. See, this is, this is my morning box, right? I'm not alive yet. I'm still doing this, and as soon as I get into my box and drive to work, this is my work box. This is my, this is my time where it's all about work, right? It's good. And then we get home, and then we're doing this thing, right? This is my entertainment time, or this is my time when I spend this time, and, right? So we, we, we divvy up our day into boxes. So this is this box, and in here where it's all full, full goodies, and then we open up this box, and it's full of goodies over here, and we open up this box, and the problem is that they're not intermingling. And so if God is in a box in your life, you're not allowing him to work when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're on the streets, when you're doing this and that, right? So this morning is all about taking God out of that box and pouring it into every single little box that you have, then getting rid of all of those boxes because you shouldn't put things in boxes. So, um, so here we go. Acts chapter 17 verse 16, Paul in Athens. Here we go. You ready? I need a drink because I know this is going to be a long one. Not that kind of drink. Here we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this to Paul, or they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know more of this new teaching that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. And I love that this is in parentheses, so we just 
we get it, right? 2,000 years later, we get this. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. And so these guys were philosophers. And in high school, we, you know, we learned about Plato and Socrates and, and all those other guys, right? And so we, we kind of get it, right? These people are people who loved philosophy. They loved religion. They loved the new ideas. They loved talking, talking, talking about them. And that's what these guys were about. They would meet in this great building, and they would discuss the newest ideas. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Europagus and said, here you go, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Here comes the gospel message. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man... He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and, uh, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your poets even said, we are his offspring. Take a little breath. We've got about five verses to go. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or Xbox or whatever, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And then the conclusion. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people uh, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, something Greek sounding, and the member of the Eropagus, also a woman named Marius, and a number of others. Okay. Here we go. So, like I said earlier, sharing your faith is not an extracurricular activity. And, and another thing that I think is kind of funny, I was, I was like about to fall asleep last night, and then God dropped this little gem on me. It's also not part-time selling heaven timeshares, right? Rather, it should be what comes natural to those of us in relationship. And so this morning, we're looking at Paul in Athens, talking to a bunch of philosophers, Right, and and we've been going through, um, we've been going through Acts and seeing how different people present the gospel. And this morning, there is kind of a key difference here that we're going to see in this passage to then uh, other times, such as when Philip addresses, you know, the Jews at the Pentecost. You know, we're going to see two big differences here. Is that right here? He's talking to people who aren't Jews. He's talking to people who who worship false gods that, that are just 
So you could say, you know, he's talking to unbelievers in this one, whereas other times in the Bible, he's talking to, to Jews. And so we're going to see a big difference here, and we're going to go through four, three, four, four points of what our faith should look like, right? So sharing something, something we love, right? If we're in a relationship with Christ, God is love. We love God. And so sharing something that we love as humans, that's very natural. That's a very natural response, right? I love the Giants. I love texting my dad saying, Aubrey Huff just slapped one out, you know? I love doing that. You know, I love the Giants. When the Giants are doing well, I'm telling everyone about it. And when the Giants aren't doing well, I'm still talking about it because I'm not a bandwagon fan. I love the Giants, right? I love the Giants. And so I'm telling people about it all the time. Did you see that play? Did you see that game? Did you see that? Movies. I'm always talking about my favorite movies. Music. I mean, I love music so much, I even know what music I hate. And if you hate that music, I'll tell you why you're wrong, and I'll tell you why I'm right, why my music is better, right? And I think that y'all are probably similar with either music or things like that, right? Let's be honest. I'm honest right now, anyway. The things that we love, we often get even biased about, right? This is what I love. I'm going to share it with people, tell them why I'm right, tell them where they're wrong, right? We love to do that as humans. So sharing something that we love is a natural response. And so my question is, why is it that for some... Sharing your faith is a backburner thing. It's a backburner thing that whenever, you know, every once in a while it's kind of hmm, extracurricular kind of a thing that goes on, right? It's, it's like an above and beyond kind of thing. As Keith Green described it, you know, a lot of people just kind of put it off as like, oh, that's for, you know, women who can't find husbands, and so they just go bury their sorrows in some tribe down the Amazon, right? I love Keith Green. You know, and what Keith Green says is, is he brings out scripture and says, unless you are directly called to stay right where you are in your little box, guess what? You're called to go above and beyond. It's not even above and beyond because it's a command. Flat out. Matthew 28. It's good stuff. It's flat out, right? We are called to share our faith. It's not an above and beyond thing. It's not an extra mile thing. It is something that God has submitted to us. It was the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. So it's kind of an important thing, I'd say. All right, so the first point that I want to uh, say is, as, as we develop in our ability to share our faith, and as we look at Paul, how he shared his faith, the first point is be ready. Be ready. Because you never know when the opportunity is going to come. You never know. Paul, as he's walking through uh, the Europagus, he sees all of these gods, right? He's being very observant. He's being ready and he's being observant. And he, if he wasn't ready, he wouldn't have noticed that God that said, to the unknown God. Right? So Paul is looking, and he sees all these idols. Conclusion. These people are very religious. He sees the, you know, the, the, other, the other idol that says, to the unknown God. Conclusion. Jesus time. Jesus time. So be ready. In Ephesians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, it says this. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because these days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we see a couple things in this passage is that always making the best of every, right? These are absolutes. And I, I love that in Star Wars it says that, you know, only a Sith deals with absolutes. So I guess God's a Sith or something. I don't know. Maybe Paul's a Sith. But he's dealing in absolutes. He's dealing with absolutely in absolutes. The most of every opportunity always giving thanks. And so when we compartmentalize our life and say, well, God time is for 9 o'clock or 10.30, you know, on a Sunday, and then maybe once a week, right? That's when we go up to our life, I don't know, cabinet, pull down the God box, open it up, and then after we're done, put everything back inside, close it up, and put it back. That can't be our life. That can't be your life. And just so you know, I'm preaching this right at myself. I like to imagine myself sitting in front row. I'm just preaching on myself here. Is that when we put God in a box, always giving thanks to God doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And so when he says, make the most of every opportunity, we should be ready. We should be alert. We should be ready to at that opportunity because we never know when it's going to happen. And so this readiness that we have in our life, where does it come from? Does it come from listening to the right music and getting pumped up and ready to go? Does it come from listening to this or that, this or that? It comes from us spending time with the Lord. It comes with us taking that compartmentalization of our life, tearing that apart, ripping those boxes up, throw it in the fire pit. You don't need them. You don't need them. And spreading God out throughout our daily life, throughout our daily time. And I love Phil, who's the leader of our uh, young adults group. You know, he, he really just lays it down. You want to make it practical? Get some podcasts. Listen to that on your way to work. Listen to that on the way back from work. Get some music. Plug that in. In your time, when you're doing this and that, listen to music. Talk to people. It's, that's what it comes down to. It's us making our daily life about God. And um, there's a verse in the Bible, it's in uh, Colossians 3.23, that I heard a lot growing up, and it didn't really sink in until a couple of weeks ago. And it's, uh, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord and not men. Does anyone know who Paul was writing to when he wrote that? Slaves. Slaves. He's writing to Slaves. Slaves who all day long are doing manual labor for someone who doesn't pay them, for someone who may not even take care of them, for someone who may be abusing them, wake up before dawn, go to bed after, way after their work is done, way after the sun is down, doing nothing but manual labor against their will. Paul has the audacity to write to those guys and says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. People who have no choice, absolutely no choice. You guys think high school is slavery? All right, all day long, all night long, working with your manual labor. I just had to call out. out. I'm used to saying that. Um, all day long, doing work, back-breaking work. I was pulling weeds out of the rose bushes yesterday for four hours. I thought that was, I, I love it, personally. I love doing that, but... Every time I would get a, a rose thorn stuck in my hand, I mean, I'm, I'm complaining, like, I got a splinter, right? I, was, I, I would get mad, you know? And so I'd like start I'd getting all angry. I'm not doing back-breaking manual labor, you know, 12, 13, 14, 
hours, not getting paid for it, and then maybe being abused by my owner. And then on top of that, have someone telling me, dude, just do all that for God. Just stop complaining, right? This is Paul telling slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And so it's easy for us in America to say, well, I can't spend time with God at work. I've got to work. I can't spend time with God at school. I've got to do school. I can't spend time for some reason with God with them with my friends because I need to entertain myself doing stuff or while watching TV or, you know, whatever. I don't know. That's what I want to submit to you. If Paul has the audacity to write to slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, doing for the Lord, whatever it is that we do out of our will, do it for God. Do it for God. Stop making your life about boxes. Take the boxes out, tear them apart, throw them in the fire pit. You don't need them. I promise you don't need them. And start making God the number one in each circle, which is what Jeff was talking about a few weeks ago, is that don't make God your number one and so separate him, but make God number one in each circle of your life so that he's a part of every circle of your life. Sharing your faith in every compartment of our life, in every area in our life. We have to be ready for it. We have to be observant. We have to be ready to act. And Paul shows that by looking and seeing the unknown God and says, Jesus time. time to, it's time to tell him about Jesus. The second one, the second one, this might be my favorite one, is be relatable. Be relatable. And what that looks like, well, let's dig into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 13 through 15. And I'm going to get to something here. Actually, you know, I'm going to, before we get into that, I want to say something real quick. Is that, here's the difference here. Like I said earlier, is that Paul is talking to non-believers here. And, and when he talks to the Jews in the synagogue, he uses scripture. Notice there's a, there's a big difference here is that he doesn't use scripture when he's talking to the Athenians here. But when he's talking to the Jews in the synagogues, He's absolutely using Scripture because the Jews hold tightly the Scripture of the prophets. The Jews know them. The Pharisees memorize them. And so what better way to tell them about Jesus than using what they hold as valuable to tell them about Jesus? He uses what the Jews hold just extremely valuable as the Scripture, and he uses that. He uses the the, the words of prophecy to validate Jesus in their life. When he's talking to the Athenians, notice he doesn't do that. He uses what they hold as valuable, these idols, to, to tell them about Jesus. And so when we are spreading the gospel, when we are sharing our faith, what is valuable to the person that you're sharing your faith with? There's the key. You find what's valuable to that person. Maybe it's a wanting of getting out of depression. Maybe it's a wanting of getting out of hurt. Maybe it's a want for life change. Maybe it's cars. Whatever it is. Find that thing that that person holds valuable. But for some people, it's not the Word of God. For some people, it's just not this book. And uh, here we go. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 15. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot 
uh, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And then if your Bible's like mine, look over just a little bit to the left of 1 Corinthians 1.18, says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You catch that? You catch that? Isn't that, doesn't that just kind of, it rocks my world anyway. It kind of, it kind of shakes me up a little bit to know that what I hold to be true, what I hold to be really the most important thing in my life is absolute rubbish to someone else. It's gutter trash to someone else. It's foolishness to someone else. It's pointless waste of time to someone else. And so when I use what they believe is rubbish to try and validate why I am the way I am, why I believe what I believe, it sounds like a foreign language. It sounds like a foreign language. If, if I walked up to someone and say, hey, want to hear one of my favorite psalms? First of all, I'd be like, what? You know? And second of all, it sounds like a foreign language. You know, Psalms 103, 1 and 2 sounds a little bit like this. It sounds like a foreign language, right? We're really good at using Christianese. We're really good at using Christianese. And this is one of the things that the Christian church really needs to work on as a whole, is that we have become so unrelatable to people who are outside the church. We use words like fellowship with people. What is fellowship? What is that? You know, we use words like righteousness. Well, I guess that means goodness. You know, we use these words that are so Christianese, it's, it's, you're speaking another language. You're speaking another language. And so when, we're, when we are sharing our faith, make it about what God has done in your life. Make it about what God is doing in your life because the word of God to people who don't believe who hold this to be rubbish, and not everyone's going to be like that. But to those who hold this as rubbish, first of all, that's just a tragedy. Second of all, it sounds like a foreign language to them. It sounds like a foreign language to them. For, for many people, Scripture alone is just not enough. And so Paul knew this. Paul understood this because he knows his audience. To the Jews, he uses Scripture. He uses prophecy to validate Christ. To the non-Jews, he doesn't. There are times, and he does. In this example, he doesn't. He uses what they hold valuable. He uses the idols that they worship. And he even presents it in a way that's philosophical. You know, these guys were philosophical men. All they did was talk, 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 talk about philosophy. It sounds like my Friday night at about 3 a.m. It's just philosophy, philosophy, philosophy. And so Paul says, you want to talk about philosophy? Okay. We go. And so he even presents it in a way that's philosophical. I love it. And then he even mentions something here. He says something that they say. They say uh, something their poets say is that we are his offspring. And so he's ready. See, he's ready at all times. And he's ready to see what's that thing that, that they are going to see as relatable. What's that thing that I'm going to be able to present to them to share my faith where they can relate it's going to sound like their language. It's going to sound like their culture. Something that they can grasp onto and say, oh, this is Christ? This is Christ? Okay, I can understand where you're coming from now because it's relatable. Um, another part of being relatable is part of knowing your audience is knowing your culture. Knowing the culture. Here in America, we have a very diverse culture, which makes it kind of difficult sometimes. We have a very diverse culture in this town even. 
the culture of the skate park is very different than the culture in this room, I'd say. I'd say that very much so. Understanding your culture. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, see, I promise there's a lot of scripture. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. This is good. This is, this is a lot of tongue twisters and it's a lot of information, so digest this. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. And then here's kind of, if you were to bold this, italicize this, up font it, underline it, bold, whatever you want to do. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Be relatable. Be relatable to the culture. Become part of the culture. And it's, this is tricky because in Romans 12 it says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What that's talking about is sin. I'm not saying go out and sin because the culture tells you to sin. But what I am submitting to you is that if I were to go over to India right now dressed up, well, actually, this, is, this isn't too bad. I would definitely change this shirt, though. Um, but if, if, if a woman, for example, you know, anyone in this room probably would go to you know, a very orthodox village in India, first of all, you'd be incredibly disrespectful because of what you're wearing, even if you're wearing the most modest of clothing in America. Because they are in, 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 in different places in India that they're the orthodox Hindu villages, the only thing that's really revealed is the hands, the feet, and the face, right? And then if they're wearing a sari, it's kind of the back of the back, the back of the back, middle of the back, right? And so understanding the culture. In America, we have so much diverse culture, and I'm not just talking about ethnic culture either. I'm talking about the different culture that's on different blocks. Understand what's valuable to the people on your block. That's next door neighbors. That's across town. That's across country. Understand what's valuable. Understand what's valuable and use that. Build relationships. Don't stay in your box. Build relationships with those people because it's kind of, or I don't know, maybe it's just, maybe I was the only person that thought this, but when I first read through Acts, I kind of got the impression that, you know, Paul was here and then he's gone and then he's here and then he's gone and then he's here and then he's gone. He was just kind of like a stone skipping across the water. But if you read carefully, it says, you know, he was here you know, a couple of passages later. Then he was here for two years. Then he was here for three years. Then he stayed here for some time. And so Paul wasn't just skipping and throwing scripture up in the air and running through towns hoping that people would be following him. You know, that's a really weird image. He was staying there, building relationships with people in the synagogue, building relationships with people outside of the synagogue. And it's even noted the names of the people he was building relationships with, right? And so... In our lives, we have to build relationships. And uh, that is kind of important for point number three. Be honest. Be honest. And this is, this is where it's going to get kind of, if I step on some toes here, band-aids are cool. Um, so this is John 8, 31 through 36. And I'm going to come back, come back to where I left off there. To the Jews who had believed him, talking about Jesus, Jesus said this. 
If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then the Jews answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. No, Paul, I love that. Anyway, How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus said this, Truly, I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no prominent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He calls us sons. He doesn't call us slaves, even though we're slaves to sin. He calls us his son. So that's why it says in Hebrews, it says that he calls us sons. Have you not forgotten that encouragement that you are his sons, that you are his daughters, that whenever you're going through hard times, sometimes it's God disciplining you because God is like a father. He disciplines those he loves. And so when you're going through times of discipline in your life, sometimes that's God treating you like a good father. A good father will discipline his son. I keep reading through Proverbs when I hear all these awesome verses that's like, don't withhold the rod from your son, they won't die. And I'm like, that's great. Anyway, so it's that love and it's that honesty. And here's, here's the thing where I might step on some toes here, is that don't sugarcoat the gospel. Don't sugarcoat it. Please don't. Please don't beat around the bush with the gospel. Because here's the deal. If you're building relationships with people, you're able to speak the truth and the whole truth into their lives. Nothing but the truth. You're able to speak truth into their lives. And, you know, a few years ago, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot going on in my life. And some of my friends were speaking in my life, you know, giving me advice about some things. And it's like, uh, you, you know what, though? You don't see it my way. And so, you know, I get that and I respect that and I thank you for that advice. You know, but I'm going to continue doing my thing here. And then I look back on that and said... Where was I at? <laughs> you know, I look back on that and said, dude, their advice was sound. And so whenever my friends give me advice, I really hold on to that advice because I, I see it you know, as true. I see it as true. When my friends are out of love, out of a relationship, giving me advice, submitting truth in my life, you know, it says in Proverbs, like a, a firm rebuke, you know, it, it, it helps, it uplifts. And so when I'm struggling with something and then someone says, hey, you know what, dude, I got to kind of be accountable here with you and call you out on this, you know, not sugarcoating anything because sugarcoating delude, dissolves, delude? Is that a word? I don't know. Delude. Is it a word? Did I just make up a word? It's not? Okay, cool. All right, good, good. Thank you. It, yeah, yeah, diluted. Cool. It, uh, it deludes. It, it, it makes it more, it makes it less powerful. It makes it less relatable. It makes it less tangible in your life. It makes it so that you can't use that, right? And so don't sugarcoat the gospel because when you build relationships with people and you're able to speak truth into their life, that truth becomes so powerful. Relationships allow you to do that. The cross sets us free. Beautiful words don't. Beautiful words are great. Nice sounding words, they sound great, but they don't set us free. The truth does. The cross does. The cross sets you free. Beautiful words don't. The last one is be tenacious. Be tenacious. And I was debating on which one to use. I, was, I didn't know if I was going to use resilient or tenacious, so I went with the cooler sounding one. Be tenacious here. Because in your sharing of your faith with people, you're going to get rejected in some areas. And this is the deal. Notice Paul's words here. He says, I became 
all things to all men in order by all means to win some. He knew that not everyone's going to accept Christ. He knew everyone's not going to accept that thing that changes your life. He knew that not everyone was going to follow him. He wasn't going to follow Christ. And so that's what I want to submit to you, is be tenacious. At the very end, it said that some called him, you know, a babbler. Some sneered at him, right? That's one third. It's kind of the rule of thirds here. Some are just totally just like, ah, get this guy out of here. Another third wanted to know more. And another third just said, I'm in. I'm following you, right? The two Greek-sounding people. They were all in. And so Paul knew this. There was going to be some who just flat out reject him. There's going to be some that might kind of be on the fence, and there's some that's just going to be right in it. And so when you're sharing your faith, when you're telling people about what's important to you, hey, I find people all the time that really hate the music I like. That doesn't change anything about my music. I'm sticking with my music. I got it. I love my music. I'm not going to change my music because of what someone else says. I'm not changing my religion because of what, else, you know, what someone else says. I'm not going to start reading some other book. I'm not going to start praying to some other God. I'm not going to start doing something in the name of someone else. I'm not going to start praying in the name of someone else because someone else tells me why they reject me. Be tenacious. Be tenacious. Because this is the thing that changed my life, along with my parents who are here today, which I'm totally excited about. Um, this is the thing that changed my life. Allow it to change yours, and don't allow others to shake you when they reject it. Be tenacious. And when you share your faith, guess what? You don't need to sell it, because Jesus sells himself. Jesus totally sells himself. He is the one who can heal that disease. He is the one that can mend that broken relationship. He is the one that can take that pain from your past and turn it into application in the present and change your life in the future. He is the one that sets us free from that pain of what we do to ourselves on a regular basis. He is the one. This is the book. This is the living, breathing word of God. In John chapter 1, it says, the word was with God, and he was God. And then when Jesus, Jesus says that I don't say anything or do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Allowed to transform your life. So this Sunday, this morning, we're going to take communion. And we're going to reflect on what God has done for us. We're going to reflect on the cross, the thing that sets us free. It says, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So this morning, we're taking communion. And as we're getting ready for that, um, I'm going to pray for it in a sec. But while we're praying and while we're taking communion, Take a moment just beside yourself and, and think for a moment what God has done for you. Think a moment from, from the moment of the cross up until the present. What has God done in your life? And to begin to thank him for it. Begin to thank him for it. It says in Ephesians 5, without ceasing, continuously, always be thanking him. So this morning, reflect on what God has done in your life. Begin to share that with people, because that's a treasure, an absolute treasure. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, that you take someone who is uh, really, really bad with the word. Look at that. Can't even, can't even say that. 
really, really not that great at speaking, and, and God, you somehow used me, and God, I thank you for it. Lord, you use people in the Bible, you use people today who are just broken people, who are people who just flat out rejected you. You use people who people said would never change. People said that's the guy you don't trust. He's never going to change. And yet you, in your power and in your forgiveness and in your grace, took that person and made them the instrument for your glory. So God, this morning, if anyone is in, in here and they have that person in their life that, that they don't trust, that that's the person, that's the black sheep, don't trust that person, Lord, I pray that we would begin to have our hearts transformed. And if God, if we are that person, I am that person to someone. If someone in here is that person who someone says they're never going to change, Lord, I pray you begin to change those, those hearts. Lord, because that's what you're after. You're after our hearts. God, I pray that, um, Lord, you just begin to just uh, rain your love down in this place, Lord. Lord, that we would be so overflowing with your love that people at work, people at school, people on the streets, Lord, that we would be that aroma of life that it that talks about in the Bible, Lord. That our love unto people would be so great that people would ask us what's different about us before we even say anything about Jesus, before we even show anything about Jesus. Lord, I pray that in this town you would just begin, you're already, you've already started this work, but Lord, I, I pray that you would begin to just bring in a new season in Dixon. Lord, that like a wildfire, your word would just be spread. Like a, like a wildfire, your love would just be spread in this town that people wouldn't even know where to run to. So they just have to run, and, run into people with open arms. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would just continue your work that you began in us. In Jesus' name, amen.